The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. The Bible is primarily a book of stories. I mean, it's one big, huge story, the story of a God, the God, who created the whole universe, making people in his image. In other words, to be his children. But then those children rebelling against him, abandoning him, turning their backs on him, and then facing the consequences that that brought upon them. Then the Bible story turns to how that God who made these people in his image, in his likeness, to be all these great things that he made them to be, um, him turning them back, him rescuing them, him making them right. Now, along the way, there are literally hundreds of little stories, little character arcs, um, motifs, themes, movements, leading to the grand resolution of God saving people and putting things back the way they were meant to be from the very beginning. And there's a lot of Bible characters that are really important. And they're not really Bible characters. Say their Bible characters may imply that they're sort of made up or they only are relevant in the Bible. Really, they're historical figures, people that have shaped the fate of the human race, some for the better, some for the worse. On the for the better category, clearly, we've got the character that the whole thing is about, the individual who makes everything right, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of God. But then along the way, there are many other people that prepared the way for Jesus, that paved the way for his coming and for the work that he did to bring about salvation. So you got characters like Moses and Abraham. You've got characters um, like Joshua. You've got Noah. You've got uh, Solomon. All kinds of figures throughout history that were influential one way or the other. But there's one character in particular who really stands above the rest as being essential, critical for the work that God was doing to bring about the salvation of the world and the restoration of all things. And that's a little shepherd boy from Bethlehem who became king, David. Arguably, besides Jesus himself, there's really no figure besides King David that stands out as being most central to God's work. Uh, at least in the, the content of the Bible itself. I recognize uh, if you don't have Abraham, you're not going to have the, the birth of God's plans to bring blessing into the world, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, but here's the case for how influential David is. And by the way, we're probably playing a silly game by trying to power rank Bible characters and figure out who's most influential, who did God use the most, or whatever. But just go with me on this to consider just how important David is in the Bible story. Uh, for one, just in human history, think about how important David is. I mean, people who've never, ever, ever read the Bible, they at least know the phrase David and Goliath from the David story. Um, a number of European artists and sculptors, the David is a great sculpture of all human sculptures. There it is as a, an iconic and just beautiful piece of artwork inspired by David's story. But then, once you move away from just how human beings around the world have considered the David story to be so crucial, you move into the Bible itself. Uh, the books of First and Second Samuel are 
pretty much stories about David. I mean, technically speaking, the first half of 1 Samuel is about the things leading up to David, but that's it. They're the things leading up to David. Uh, 1 Chronicles is devoted to David and the works of David and what he did for the children of Israel and for God's purposes in worship and service and establishing the kingdom and so forth. The book of Ruth predates David by generations, but when you get to the last paragraph, you find out, oh, actually this story of love between this woman Ruth and her eventual husband Boaz is actually just trying to give you context and explain to you the origins of Israel's great King David. Whenever you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles of the the kings that followed David in his dynasty and and in Israel at large, David is sort of the ever-present figure. He's been dead for centuries when these stories are occurring. But whenever those kings would pass away, their lives were evaluated based upon whether or not they measured up to the standard that David set. The Psalms. At least 73 psalms are attributed to David. They're psalms of David. Two more in the New Testament are quoted and are said to be psalms of David. So that means half of the psalms that we know of are psalms that were written by David. And here, these rich poems that express the inner life of somebody who's seeking after God, trying to get through life, trying to navigate all the difficulties that life brings and all that sort of thing. And who's the one that is pouring his heart out, giving us perspective on all these things, is David. You keep on going into the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, all give special attention to David, uh, the promises that God made to David of an eternal kingdom. By the way, I guess we should have mentioned, David's pretty important in God's plan of history because God promised to David, hey, through your seed, well, I'm going to rule through your seed and establish a kingdom. Your son will be my son. That, of course, pointing to Christ, but more broadly speaking to God reestablishing his goodness in the earth, bringing good things to bear for the human race. Well, the prophets pick up on that theme. As I said, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And even though Daniel, not explicitly, the context of a lot of the message of the book of Daniel is within this hope, this earnest hope that God's people always had that, hey, we need to get things right. We need to be saved. We need the king to come back to make things right for us. How's that going to happen? And what is that? It's David. When God would promise of, well, it was promises about who we would call Jesus, but to help the people understand it, God would speak in terms of one day my servant David will return to do X, Y, and Z and to save the people and put things right that were wrong and all this sort of thing. David is this ever-present figure. Whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy that records the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, it focuses on how his lineage is that of David. Romans chapter 1, launching out into this great treatise on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It begins with saying, hey, this is a good news message that starts with the fact that Jesus was a descendant of David according to the flesh. He was declared the Son of God through the resurrection, but that lineage of being associated with David, this one that God promised would bring about an eternal kingdom that would set right what's wrong and would bring peace and joy to the human race, this is the character that's highlighted. Uh, And then all the way in the book of Revelation, I mean, cover to cover, the Bible emphasizes David. Both the man and his story and what he did and the things that he didn't do, but also the, the, the he almost became more than a man whenever you read through Scripture. David became this sort of emblem of God's faithfulness and God's power and God's goodness and God's kingdom authority and God's wisdom. All the good things about God are bound up in the story of David. Why? Of all the people, why did God 
choose this dude to be so important, so influential, so emblematic of so many critical, vital, necessary things for the human race and God's plans for the human race. Why Why is David featured so much? I'll tell you one reason that it's not. It's not because he was intrinsically better than anybody else. You read the story of David. He did some horrendous things. In 1 Samuel 21, David, out of fear, he lies and he runs away from the people of God into the arms of the pagan Philistines. And as a result, an entire village of people, David says, as a result of his actions and his deception and his sin, a whole village of people are murdered because of, not directly by him, but as a consequence of his actions. Uh, later on in 2 Samuel chapter uh, chapters 11 and 12, we have the horrifying, disturbing story of David's stealing the wife of one of his most trusted soldiers, impregnating her, trying to cover up his sin by having the guy come back and sleep with his wife. The man has such integrity. Uriah, the soldier, has such great integrity. He refuses. David then sends Uriah into the heat of the battle, and since he couldn't cover up what he had done with Uriah's wife, he has Uriah killed uh, in just a horrible conspiracy against one of his leading commanders. I mean, this is disgusting. You read about David's parenting, and while we know he wasn't actually a horrible parent, I know that because the book of Proverbs, I forgot this in our outline of Bible books that David's influential on, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, David's son, references David's parenting and David's godly wisdom and guidance that he gave him. So David wasn't a lost cause of father. However, when you read in 2 Samuel chapters 13 and following, he wasn't always a good father and sometimes was just wrong in a disturbing way, wrong in not restraining his children and not guiding them and not protecting them like he ought to and putting them on God's path. You go to the end of the book of 2 Samuel, the very last story in this great book about David and his life and his story and God's work with him, the last story in the book of 2 Samuel is a story about David not really trusting God not heeding good counsel to seek after God, but instead seeking after his own power and strength as a military leader. And not only is he punished, but tens of thousands of his subjects are killed as a result. David isn't central to the Bible story because he was a better person than the rest of us or because he was some kind of exemplar of perfection. He is an exemplar of many things, but it's not that he had his act together entirely. So what is it? Acts chapter 13 is the record of a sermon that the Apostle Paul was preaching. He and Barnabas were, uh, were preaching to some Jews on one of their missionary journeys. And they outlined the history of their people, of, of the Jewish nation and God's work with them. And in verse 20, excuse me, in verse 36, well, if you start in verse 34, they're talking about Jesus, but they're talking about how Jesus was the fulfillment of all of God's promises and all of God's work throughout history. And in verse 34 of Acts chapter 13, it says, As to his raising him from the dead, that is God raising Jesus from the dead, never to re return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. A quote from Isaiah chapter 55. Therefore, he also says in another passage, You will not let your holy one see decay. A quotation of something David had written, prophetically about Christ in Psalm 16. But check out this in verse 36. Acts 13 and verse 36. This helps us find a little bit insight to our answer of the question, why is David so central? Why was he so important? Why is he kind of one of the favorites, one of the all-stars, if not the captain of the all-star team when it comes to people of faith throughout the Bible story? Why is he so central? Acts 13 and verse 36. For David, 
after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. Obviously, his point about decay isn't just like, yeah, David died. His point is Jesus didn't die. But for our purposes of trying to understand David's significance and David's meaning and, and role in God's plans, read that first line again. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation. Not every person in human history has done that. <laughs> Lots of us certainly can say about ourselves, and we see it in others, uh, a grave failure in that turning away from God's purpose, turning away from God's will, not doing what he wants. Now you might say, well, there's lots of other people that did that. And that's true. Uh, Abraham did that. Moses did that. Elijah did that. Joshua did that. Noah did that. There are many people in Scripture. And that's actually the reason they get highlighted. And perhaps the reason why David in particular gets so much attention is because we do have such grand failures on his part. But God shows through the story of David that, hey, I'm not really looking for perfection in all of y'all. I mean, actually, that's not true. Ideally, that is exactly what God's looking for. And in the work of Christ and the Spirit of Christ, that's what God's bringing about. But God understands our frame. God understands the nature of human beings. And God works through imperfection. God works with broken toys to play the game that he's playing of setting all things right. It's not a game at all. It's what the whole program's about. But how did David fulfill God's purpose? Because he did a lot of bad things. So if it's not about being perfect, but rather fulfilling God's purpose, what does that even mean? What is God's purpose? What's God looking for? Look at earlier in the sermon, Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. Speaking about the king before David, King Saul, who was removed, Acts 13 and verse 22 says this, After removing him, that is Saul, he, that is God, raised up David as their king, and he testified about him. And there's a quotation here from 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. Notice the parallel. 1336 fulfilled the purpose of God. 1322 carries out all my will, or would do all my will. All right. So we see these parallel statements. David fulfilled the purpose of God. David carried out God's will. But then we're still wondering, wait a second, he did some horrible things. We just outlined them. I mean, I know he's important. He's all throughout the scriptures. His story is heavily featured. He's, uh, you know, the, the prototype of Christ in, in some way, shape, or form. Jesus comes through his lineage. It's all kind of, in some ways, he's kind of the hub of the story of the scriptures up until Christ. What does that mean that he did God's will, though? Because I know he did a bunch of horrible, terrible stuff. Well, look again. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. I have found him to be a man after my own heart. There's two ways to read this phrase, and I always, frankly, kind of flip-flop between them because I'm not real sure that, and I'm not even sure we're supposed to just pick one way or the other, but I'm going to kind of give you what the way I kind of make sense of this phrase. To be after God's heart means that God has in mind what He wants in human beings, how He, His goal for us, His dream for us, His, his desire for our, our character, our attitude. He has a heart. He has a, a desire in His heart for what He wants to see. And David fulfilled that. But the interesting notion is that this phrase for David to be a man after God's heart and in that way to fulfill the purpose of God, to be central to doing God's will, not only in his own generation, but also as we've seen throughout human history to bring about 
the salvation that we find in Christ. In order for David to be lined up with God's heart, David's heart had to be for God. Does that make sense? David lined up with what God wanted because God was what David wanted. Listen to what David says in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 3, David says this, Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. My heart, he says, won't be afraid. It won't be shaken by the things that are happening around me. I have asked one thing from the Lord. And this shall I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. He goes on again in verse 8. He says, My heart says this, Seek His face. Lord, I will seek Your face. Verse 14 again. He now speaks to the reader, speaks to us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. And what does that mean? What does it mean to have a courageous heart? The last line. Wait for the Lord. David fulfilled the purpose of God. He did all God's will. God used him and featured him in his story of bringing about salvation because David matched up with what God was looking for. David was a man after God's heart. David's character and his Um, His conduct and his attitude and the way he looked at life and his perspective matched up with what God in his heart is looking for when he looks at human beings. There's actually a quote that I love uh, that talks about how uh, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are completely his. And that's what he's looking for ultimately. And that's what David's heart was. David matched up with God wanted in his heart because in David's heart, God was all he wanted. Your face will I seek all the days of my life. My heart says, seek his face. Your face I will seek. That's what David was all about. He wasn't about seeking other things. Now, by the way, the stories we mentioned earlier where he had these grave failures, those were instances where he was not seeking after God. He was seeking after other things, his own protection, approval of other people, physical pleasure, uh, vengeance, all the kinds of things that we're tempted to seek whenever God isn't the all-consuming centerpiece of our hearts. But the thing that kept David at the center of God's will and making David fulfill the purpose of God in his generation and made him someone that God looked at and said, hey, I'm going to use you in mighty ways, not only while you're living, but even past your life in my story of bringing about salvation of the world. The thing that made that so special was that David's heart was completely devoted to God. God was what he wanted. Jesus would say it this way to his followers in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart doesn't mean you never ever make a mistake. To be pure in heart means that there's no nothing else in your glass of water. You know, pure water. There's nothing else in it. That's the whole point. It's singular. It's total. It's complete. It's, it's pure of anything else. To be pure in heart is to have your heart completely devoted to God. That's what made David a man after God's heart, is that God was all David wanted in his heart. And even when he would mess up in such horrifying, terrible ways, God was the one David came back to. God was his solution. God was his hope. The one who had made him and saved him and loved him and protected him, he was the center of everything that he thought and that he wanted and that he did. That was it. 
Now, this is important for two reasons. Number one, it should help me to appreciate uh, the story of David when I read it. When I'm reading the stories, man, I'm not just reading somebody who did some amazing things or just was a person of faith. But this is somebody that even in his stumblings was coming back to God because God was the center of everything that he wanted and everything that he was and everything that he was about. But David's also being held up to us um, as a model, not in his failures, but in his faith, in his loyalty, in his devotion, in his heart for God. Am I like that? Of course, I mean, Christ is the ultimate exemplar of that because David had many instances when he allowed other things, other idols to creep into his heart and to push Yahweh out as the God of his heart. Christ never did that. When we look at Christ, when we look at David, when we look even at other Bible characters, the thing that we should see is that God is at the center of their heart. That's the thing that makes them people after God's own heart. And isn't that what you want? Wouldn't it be great? If you're following Jesus, isn't it a great relief? To know that when God looks at you and God looks at your heart and he sees that he's at the center of everything, he's the one that you want, he's the desire of everything that you have, he's the thing that fills you up completely, he looks on you and says, yeah, that's a person fulfilling my purpose in their generation. That's a person who's doing all my will. That's a person who's living in the way that I desire. That's a person who's filling up my heart with joy to see the way they live. That's a person who, in whom I'm well pleased. That's the promise that followers of Jesus have. That's the promise of those who look to the story of David as a forerunner to help us learn how to follow Jesus ourselves so that God can see us as people that please Him, as people that are completely after His own heart, fulfilling His purpose in our generation. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.